Our guest today is S. Vijay Kumar, uh, co-founder of the India Pride Project, uh, which is working to stop theft of Indian heritage, uh, a loot of uh, Indian temple art. Vijay, tell us, how did it all start? First of all, thank you Rahul and Piyush for spending time and hosting India Pride in Delhi this April. And it was a great event uh, we had in the press club. And as you know, we are all sons of the soil, though we live abroad. So the heart is still Indian, the passport is still Indian. And as you see from the passport, every time I pick it up, I look at the lines. And we would like to see India back to the roaring lines. Not just make in India, but stay in India. So it's been quite a while since uh, we, as a small citizens initiative, have been working at highlighting the problems, the loopholes, and the apparent disregard for protection of cultural sites in India. And our road has been thorny over the last 10 years, where we worked at documenting temple sites. What started off as a small hobby, blogging, couple of friends went into writing historic fiction, couple of friends went into reading actual inscriptions. And slowly as we started moving along on this journey, we realized that what little has been documented in India was not actually presented in the sites that we went in. So just imagine we have covered a very minuscule percentage of heritage sites. And even in those published works, the pieces that were celebrated and found good enough to be featured in these uh, research papers, catalogs, publications and these kind of books were not there when we visited the sites. And when we inquired about, people were not even bothered to come back to us. There was no theft reports. Nobody actually knew where these sacred objects were. And that's when we realized that there is some gap, something is wrong and instead of waiting for somebody to just come up and do it, we as a small team said let's see what we can do and that's how uh, I think the genesis of India Pride project was started. But you started many years ago, I, I believe you have an interest in documenting temple art and there was a case of serendipity. So could you go back and share what your hobby is and when did you form that hobby of documenting temples and See, I was always interested in temple art, uh, not just Hindu temple art, anything that was beautiful. Uh, as we are young, we all had ambitions of becoming painters, mm -hmm. uh, artists, and it took a long while for me to realize that I would never be a match for my ancestors. So then the easiest alternative was photography, which that time was an expensive hobby, not like today. And I used to go around all these amazing sites back in my hometown in Tamil Nadu, and then what was really surprising for me was we had these amazing monuments with stunning works of art and there would hardly be one visitor, two visitors and even those that are currently under worship, people would just go inside, place their demands before the Lord, pay their fines or dues, yes. hoping to reap their fixed deposits at the end of the time and come back, not even spend a few minutes in, in appreciating the beautiful sculptures around and then I realized that there was a small gap in what we look at art and what is sacred art and the space of the young India uh, was 
lacking in art appreciation i'm not saying that art appreciation has to be taught formally but it was not included in our history books uh, if you remember what we were taught we were taught about wars we were taught about people trees being planted but nobody talked to us about what is culture what is the beauty of culture and it, and the few books that were printed and published by expert scholars were more like phd theses which which scare away an early audience that's when i realized that there's a small gap which we could actually fit in where i could document my own learning process like how i was studying as a layman my introduction to sculpture uh, and indian art uh, i thought i would document it as a blog that is poetry dot poetry in stone dot in and uh, after a few uh, blogs i found that this was not just an expression for me it was a congregation point or a rally call for similar like minded individuals to come along and slowly we started finding that social media is is a is a fertile fishing pool to cast our nets into and a lot of like minded volunteers came along and scholars came along i think that's the largest takeaway it's not just the blog it's, it's that we made good friends right and uh, so there was a i mean when did you first realize that there is theft going on in these temples i believe there was some incident when you were reading a magazine and something you documented or see was uh, i've always been no we always want to be james bond the moment you realize that piece is missing my first and even today uh, unfinished objective is what is today cited as the the example of the most studied restitution in india uh, which is the sivapuram natraja now the sivapuram natraja was is a unique case where it was found as a buried hoard and was part of a series of six blocks and an fir was filed only after 13 years of the theft and that too because a british museum curator who came down to india in 1963 to write a book on indian bronzes mentioned in his book that it is what you have in the temple is a fake and the originals are with a dealer in bombay and the switch happened when the temple authorities gave the bronzes for cleaning out to a craftsman and the craftsman made replicas and sold the originals and apparently our systems and bureaucracy and law enforcement was as lax as it is today even then in the 1950s that they took 8 months to reach bombay from chennai by the time the bronze was sold for close to a million dollars to the norton sammy museum and the norton sammy museum formally acquired the bronze in 1972 and there was a protracted legal battle and between the government india, of india government of india and norton sammy museum and the surprising fact in this case is that the indian government and norton sammy agreed for an out of court settlement and in the out of court settlement they were norton sammy museum was allowed to keep the bronze for a period of 10 years mm-hmm. on display in a public museum and then return to india which is good and he doesn't get paid anything he loses his million dollars in those days but there was a very vague second clause which basically said that norton sammy could buy any indian art for a period of 1 year if it is already outside of india no questions will be asked by the indian government which is quite funny there's no need for the clause to be uh, inserted. inserted so my my legal brain started clicking and i went and checked 
okay, he had this loophole, how much did he use it? And I was shocked to read that he had bought close to say 40 South Indian bronzes and about another 100 odd Indian art in that moratorium period, which include a lot of pieces which were of shady provenances. And as I was going through it, I was more shocked when there was another bronze with the provenance plate which said Sivaparam and the date of acquisition was 1972. I was like, you have this Nataraja and then you have another bronze from Sivaparam. You are talking about the Norton Museum? All the same museum. Oh, you were at the museum yeah. and you saw them? Okay. So what we did was, I went to the French Institute of Pondicherry as I normally do and asked them for the photographs if they have documented it earlier. As luck would have it, the French Museum went to document it only in 1957. By which time the switch had already been made. Oh, the switch was not made in 63, but the book was written in 63. The switch was made earlier. Much earlier. So, the French Institute Pondicherry basically had photos of the fakes. So, when I looked at the fakes, so they had this fake Nataraja. <laughs> they had the fake Somastaka. And they had uh, Ganesha, Asamandar, and two Uma branches. So, I went and dug up the old FIR just filed in the 1960s and it lists that six bronzes were unearthed, not one bronze and it gives the names of the bronzes is one Nataraja, one Somaskanda, one Samandar and one Ganesha and two Uma bronzes and that only one was recovered. All others have been made, the rest of the five items are still open as of today. So then I went and dug more and then I found a book called South Indian Bronzes written by the then creator of the Natas Museum, Pien Srinivasan. And he had a photograph of this Somaskanda in an uncleaned condition as it was excavated, which is available even today at the Chennai Museum for 270 rupees. And it's this thick a book. And that book had this photograph, which is a direct match to the object that is on display in the Norton Simon Museum. And when I went and looked at it, okay, so one, the Indian government bothered only to return the Nataraja. The family was still back in uh, Norton Simon. Not only that, the fakes were made to closely resemble the original. And then we looked at the rest of the four bronzes, which unfortunately is not there in P.N. Srinivasan's book. We find Norton Simon Museum has similar looking bronzes, which resemble the replicas with them already, which has been bought in 1972. So I published this as a paper. Uh, and then the surprising fact was, the same Douglas Barrett, the British Museum creator who wrote this book in 1963, which originally ticked off the police saying this is a fake, had visited the Norton Simon Museum around the 1970s and he had written a monologue of these bronzes but they were never published and after 25 years they were published in a small magazine for which a friend volunteer contributed to us where Douglas Barrett himself has quoted that this Somaskanda and Ganesha are part of the famous Sirpuram court and to date there has been no attempts made to bring this bronze back. But are those, are those still lying in the Norton Simon Museum? Still yes. to date? Yes. Like with, 40 years? With the provenance plate saying so from Sopra. What is the provenance? Provenance is Sopra. Okay. So you ask me what is the provenance? Provenance. Okay. Say you want to go buy a property. Okay. You ask for the kata or the parent document. Okay. So provenance is basically the parent document which which is currently used as a convenient loophole 
When I say a loophole, many countries have this issue of the source countries, which I mean the countries that are rich in heritage and culture, which is prime target for looters, lobbied the UN to come up with, with a strong statute to stop this rampant theft of cultural property. In 1970, the UN came up with a statute which said that anything over 100 years is treated as uh, an antiquity and should not be removed from the source country. And if, if the source country can prove that it was illicitly removed, the buyer should return it to the origin country without compensation. Mm -hmm. And and for that matter of fact, it's not a grandfather's clause, meaning anything before 1970 doesn't become untouchable. It does, just means that you need to do more to fight the case. So the other case in point is the London Nataraja case, which was uh, from a temple site called Patur. It's very interesting. The sense that this was bought by a corporation in Canada uh, again in the same time period, 1970-1980, and similar large numbers. And this Nataraja was actually bought back because of the help of termites. Okay. What happened was this is a buried hole, and you know the buried holes is a subject that is close to my heart because during the unfortunate events of 1314, when there were raids by uh, invaders in South India. These priests uh, basically tried to protect these bronzes. They used to bury these bronzes for safekeeping. Because they were being they were going to be mutilated or made for gold or whatever. And the very fact that even today, every year we find about 50, 60 buried corpses, bronzes is a testament to the fact that the custodians sacrifice their own lives in guarding their secrets rather than give it up because otherwise after the threat had passed they would have gone and brought out the bronzes and reinstalled them so these guys gave up their lives to protect these bronzes so that someday they will come back into worship so this bronze the Patur Nataraja was dug up by a farmer greedy maybe so he went and put this near a termite mound and negotiated the sale privately and when he went out he was sent to London for uh, cleaning and the British police and the Indian government got point of it and they started asking questions. So the first question that came up was who sues for it because it was not from a temple this was from a buried fort and along with the Nataraja two Umas were found and the Umas were still there and the, and the call was the legality was and the wife sue for the husband. So it was decided that the Uma would sue for the husband to be returned back to her. But the question was there were two Umas. So the legal brains got together and they said that this guy is a dancer. He keeps dancing around. So the wife, poor wife will be following him around. And they decided the one with a slimmer waist would be the pair and she sued. And one of the important evidence was when they scraped the bottom of the Nataraja, the termite mound sand matched with the termite mountain patrol. That's why I said termites I bring back the patrol. So that's that's all the glitz of solving a case. So wait sorry, Vijay, what I want to know is that you know from what I understand is we are losing this you know lot of heritage and culture. But who is you know who is responsible here and who is you know who who all are involved in you know in this loss that we have? Because from what I hear, you know, there are greedy farmers or maybe you know people, and we're not losing it to people from outside. 
who all you know are involved in this <laughs> see this is probably akin to ivory poaching the fact that ivory poaching happens is because the ultimate buyer is forking out a ridiculous amount of money as is right now on and i was reading this post on facebook it said that the rhino population is down to say less than 100 and the rhino is asking the guy seriously you think we are afford we have access to afford us yet <laughs> we can't even have our population up so the so one the point i'm trying to make is the killing stops and the buying stops and if you really look at the art market today it's very different from the art market of a few decades ago one there is lack of credible investment which can be moved around easily swapped around easily and the kind of dollar money that we're talking about we're talking about options going for 5 10 15 million and 15 million today is a ridiculously huge sum of money to corrupt even the incorruptible and for 90 crores for one idea it's it's going to be impossible for india to secure its borders secure its temples so that's one aspect that we're working on to basically look at creating a strong deterrent for people to buy spurious paperwork backed indian art knowing from experience that in the past india was a soft target so india would never care and go after the smuggling ring so if you indian art was fair game so in fact they would have like a workshop this was like an assembly line people would be sent the auction houses would send people here they would come on like an expedition go out with the local dealers pick and choose objects for loot which basically means that if there are 10 objects they say okay these two are the best take it and then these would be go on, shipped back to them so it's it's an order loot kind of yeah subject and if you just keep going at this rate every decade we are losing 10000 20000 prime objects you can imagine how much indian india is poorer by their so oh, that is the estimate 10000 approximately every decade well it's a subject that we can keep arguing but you have to understand from the recent examples just to give you a sample one of the prime dealers that is currently being uh, under trial in chennai his galleries was raided in just new york alone storage warehouses which as of now is 12 in number so there could be more so 12 storage warehouses of a medium sized dealer in new york yielded 108 million dollars worth of stuff which is again a conservative valuation because in art market it, it has to be bid yeah. so 108 million dollars 2600 objects was a standing stock from disclosed ceased and this guy was in business for 35 years so you can just extrapolate it this is just one dealer in america then there is and a medium sized one it's one european union in australia then you have this old private collector market and how are these people advertising or selling these products on well till recently you'll be surprised it's open catalog internet brochures wherein we even have as drop things that have been dropped from asa site museums okay which have been openly advertised on catalogs so asi is i mean from museums if a theft happens and and is is an asi i mean how can that well, that's that leads us to the larger question of who is responsible for this if you quote the cag report of 2013 the cag actually says 
okay the larger issue is 91 heritage sites were missing just so complete sites missing so they don't know where it went into heritage yeah, sites what does that mean the entire temple structure or whatever everything sites out it's not there so that that a part which is and the larger what when is this what date is this which is reported 2013 2013 the larger thing is the asi says uh, the cag report says as of the decade ended 2012 not even a single indian object was restituted back and if you see in comparison what happens in other countries source countries like italy greece cambodia egypt they have an active police force italy has 3000 people and they have had remarkable success remarkable success in the sense of not just in terms of money value in terms of quantity and in terms of how they actively chase the smuggling network so they don't value the token returns they value in actually going after the dealers and even creators and breaking that network down basically so they want to scare people from doing optical due diligence on purchasing those art forms unfortunately in india the antiquity act which is the much maligned act everybody is blaming the antiquity act i have actually looked at the antiquity act there's nothing wrong much of india's antiquity and in fact every other law is based on british law so everybody is looking at antiquity act The only problem is there is no one to enforce that. The Antiquity Act places the role of ASA as a custodian, but then there is no enforcement powers and there is no detective powers to go and actively look at auction catalogs, look at auction records, look at magazines where people are advertising, and these are very creative. But what what do you mean? There's no there's no police, there's no departments who are responsible. There's no detective, there's no department, there's no police, and there's no modus operandi. In fact, when one of the natajas which i talked about came back to india indian customs did not have a provision for an object to be returned because there was no entry for its exit so obviously a smuggler is not going to put a bill of entry for its exit so it stayed in check customs for 10 years oh my in some go down so which what would be a viable model to put back these you know artifacts back to the temple and would there be a you know stands here where the you know the temple or the village council would be held responsible um, for this Right now, I think the technology has moved manifold. Gone are the days where you have to put titles in the lock. Absolutely. It's a demonstrated fact that a documented object is as much as the deterrent as a natural lock. So, the mo- and today you can invest in three-dimensional scanners where you can do a full three-dimensional scanner. So you don't have to necessarily go and say this temple and inscribe it like what they do in restaurants and all that. So there is technology available where we can completely document it, and I think it's high time. In fact, the UN statute basically says that source countries should have a national archive, plus they should also publicize a national theft database. But sadly, India does not have both. So we don't have a custodian, we don't have a national archive, we don't have a policing force, we don't have a dedicated squad, and it's no wonder we are losing pieces at this point. No, I mean, you said ASI is a custodian. So we do have a custodian, but we don't have any police. I mean, no state department, no. There is no accountability, and even okay, with the even C- with the SIG, even with the CAG report, I don't think there is a formal answer that has been tabled to oh. this 2013 report. And who is who is responsible for giving that answer? To I guess it is the audit, ASI. It is the audit of the ASI, so okay, and the Ministry of Culture, I presume. Okay, and is this an agenda item in the Ministry of Culture? Well, I'm Especially here on my agenda. Present so, government. Okay. So our, our agenda is basically uh, going to a larger scale. We want to make sure that 
these auction houses, dealers, stop looking at India as somebody who doesn't care for its heritage and treat us as jokers. Literally jokers. You know? we, we've got everything with us. We have source photographs. We have objects that have been stolen right in front of our noses. And somebody in Europe is advertising it in an open art show. He's giving television interviews with the object in, behind him. And sometimes they know it's stolen. A lot of times they probably don't know, they know it's stolen. 100% all the art galleries. Or is it that they sometimes do not know that they are stolen? To give you an example, if a curator or a dealer doesn't know a freshly excavated piece to something that's been exhibited, so coming back to the provenance question, provenance basically it has to be exhibited. So if it's exhibited before 1970, it becomes good provenance. If an object which is sold for $5 million has not been seen for 50 years and miraculously comes up somewhere in New York, obviously it should have a red flag. The second thing, when you look at an object that has been continuously under worship for a thousand years, compared to something that's been off worship for a hundred years, those experts should be able to find out that this is fresh loot. And there are tests that can be done to basically look at the bronzes or the stone, uh, basically to do further tests, they can check. So are these museums overlooking the fact that these are stolen pieces and yet going ahead and displaying them? Well, it's it's a question of having the necessary paperwork and the paperwork today is non-existent. So there is uh, no international standard which is basically looking at the loophole. This is like, okay, one thief came, he robbed one of my objects, I got that object back. So I don't remove my law, change my law. The idea is unlike countries like Australia, which have been publicly shamed in the media to return the Nataja back along with Adhanashwara where they went and did a comprehensive review. And the more review they do, the more dirt comes up and more difficult it is to clean. Whereas countries like Britain now, for example, take the stand that if we start returning, our museums will be empty. So you have two spectrums, like once a British colony, which is now acting properly and, and the parent of all trying to say that I want to protect the stolen wood that is in my museums. So the idea is, people have to realize that these were not meant to be museums in the first place. They were not created as pieces of art, they were created as pieces of worship. And to remove them from their setting, take off the context and show them a showcase, be curious and charge a fee for that. So if you are an Indian, you want to go and see any of these objects. Okay, the Met says you pay as much as you want, but suggested is $25. So yeah. why should I pay $25 to see an object that should rightfully be in my country? So, two questions here, uh, Vijay. Uh, one is about what did the Australian government do or the Australian media? How did it change the Australian government? What changed? And what are the repercussions of that? What is, the, what is happening? The second one is about the point you touched about worship, right? These are not temple, these are not uh, artifacts for, for art, they are, they are for worship. So, I will touch upon, would like you to touch upon that. I'll take your to... second question first because it's okay. easier to answer. For me, the stand, like many people, they ask me twofold. One are archaeological sites. And today, archaeological sites lose their objects lose their importance if they are illegally dug up. Meaning the context is lost and it becomes a showcase to you. So for example, if an illegal digger goes and digs a site, he gets a gold coin, and then he's got some ceramic plates with some random inscriptions and a few paintings. Obviously, he's gonna throw the rest and he will want to hide the site. 
So he's not going to tell you which site he excavated from. Yeah. So you actually don't know what it is about. And probably he'll melt the gold or send the gold coin out. And the problem is amplified in, in currently conflict zones like Syria and Iraq, where terrorist groups are actively going and digging at an industrial scale. Oh, even happening. in Syria and Iraq. It's coke mark like a golf ball. If you really look at it, we were uh, actually attending this scale event conference uh, on cultural crisis where we had uh, senior archaeologists, experts from Syria, real monuments men who are working hard to combat this uh, destruction of cultural property in the Middle East. And the, the satellite photography images that we see like before after startling. The scale that is happening is so extensive that I'm sure millions of dollars are moving through the wrong channels. How does ISIS know where to excavate? Well, they hold a gun to your head if you're not follow them, ask you to take to the site. I mean, you take them wouldn't to the they site. have already been dug out? Well, I mean, that's the problem. Not like in India, you go out in Delhi, every 500 meters, if you dig, you, you will get digging. something. So, there's the same happening in, in those countries, and it's like the, style, the classic Godfather question either the site retail is on the table or your brains. And, and there have been cases where you executed a few people who have refused to divulge the locations. Okay, is it is it an international mafia ordering, uh, somehow conniving with the ISS to well, take this out, or is it simply funds, that you, you try everything? Okay. So they are, so that's that's something of great concern that's happening right now. That's number one. Whereas in India, the shameful reason is neither are we an occupied country nor are we under a war zone, and we are still losing objects at this scale. And we are losing objects that are under worship. So most of the cases that we are currently looking is a, a jailbreak, sorry, the temples have been broken into by criminals and objects that have been under worship for a thousand years are being sold out as curios. And most often, uh, the context You mean is like live temples? I mean, they go in and so overnight. We have, we, have, we have cases where the priests have been hacked to death, resisting the theft. So that's the scale at which we are talking of. Plus, also archaeological sites, we, we have sites that are under the UNESCO protected list and all these like recently Rani Kivar, we have traced objects that have been looted from Rani Kivar as well. So a lot of these are objects are objects of faith like Chola provinces which today command millions in, in the antiquities market are considered and the creators, the original creators and the custodians denoted them to be bodies of God. That what they called literally in the local language. So they were living deities. So they were living deities, and in fact, they are where they are woken up by singing songs. They are bathed, they are dressed, they are, they are actually uh, wiped with a towel and they are fed. And then in the night, they are sung to and put to sleep. So they are treated by these custodians as living, breathing gods. And to make them as pieces of art and put a price tag on it is, is something that hurts very deeply. Coming to Australia, now Australia initially also took the normal stand, which is being defined. Uh, in fact, the curator Ron Radford went on record to say that there are hundreds of Natrajas, and you guys don't know if what Nataraja I have is a stolen Nataraja. As luck would have it, the French Institute Pondicherry had a photograph when it was still inside the temple. And one of our volunteers went down to the National Gallery and got us a high resolution photograph. Thanks to technology, we could map every break, every crack at 38 points and pull it up as a YouTube video and said, now it's your choice if you think this is right. And thankfully... You were involved in that? It was my video that went your out. Uh, it was my match. 
those successes many fathers so i'm happy that uh, so it has happened that uh, this was up and this constituted a larger review within the australian network and the culture minister asked for a detailed uh, due diligence report on all the requisitions from this one dealer to start with so when they started doing this due diligence and they put this data up for experts to look at it and it was rather pathetic all the 30 objects even on first look within half an hour you know that 17 objects have taken for paper like you have uh, dealers brass shop owners single room brass shop owners in delhi uh, old old delhi who have been put as people who have sold 5 million dollar worth of stuff and the same names are put like one after the other as 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 simple rules if somebody has applied their mind to say that it cannot be that one dealer and one sundanese diplomat could actually hoarded 70 million 17 million dollars worth of stuff and kept it quiet for 40 years because all of these have to be dated before the un convention so conveniently they come up with this letter pad so it's all bought between 1969 and 1970 by this diplomat and it left india and nobody thought about it it was bequeathed to one of the dealer's girlfriends and incidentally she's been charged with in the us court for providing fake provenance so all this worked together and now they realize that they have a problem and they took these objects of display so apart from the two that have been returned already by our uh, once is which went out and and the vidrachala madara ishwara the the larger question is for two years these objects have been off display meaning that they realize that this is stolen loot and we no longer and we've managed to find proper photos where these objects have robbers holding those these behind it just after it was looted lungi which is basically your south indian version of your so you have all these photographs also to prove that these objects were illegally left in india though we have not been able to trace for some of these items where exactly their source Uh, temple has been, which is thanks to the lack of national archive. But the UN statute is very clear. All you have to do is you have to say that it's illegally left India, and it's part of this smuggling network. And the same dealer has given you fake paper. So the paperwork is false. You have a robber photo, and the museum has taken it off display. And you have a due diligence report which says this is a problematic piece. So all it takes for the Indian government to ask for its return is there on public domain. And sadly, you have not asked for two years. And why? If you find the answer, let me know. <laughs> and what happened was as we were digging all the asian art collection we came across this kushan buddha which was sold by another dealer and when we looked at the provenance it was also optical and this started alarm bells and they sued the dealer and the dealer went for an order for settlement he she repaid them a million dollars with the promise or a guarantee to return it to india so the gallery is paid the object is off display waiting to be shipped to india nobody is asked for the buddha as well because there is no way for because it never left india so there's no way for it to come back because the law is so confused well maybe wait for the next australian prime minister to come back and, and check his claim but the larger thing is after this they appointed a supreme court judge in australia to do a review of the 1200 objects of asian origin or of asian oh, origin okay so which, which is when we realize that even a small museum in australia would hold 1200 objects and these are cases that keep happening everywhere and i think the original example is is one way good one way bad one way good meaning i think it's high time museums adopt fair practices and be transparent in their provenance detail and start working closely with experts to to ensure that the house is cleaned up the second part is if you start opening it up they have to be 
confident that they are going to have a large amount of returns and that acceptance is there to sink in in some of these so-called encyclopedic museums which consider themselves to be the repositories of world cultures yeah. without realizing that indirectly they are fueling illicit things and through that all nefarious activities mm-hmm. it's almost patronizing that we are anyways taking care of your art which you would not yeah. otherwise well, is it <coughs> these monuments have lasted a thousand years and two thousand years without any patent without any air conditioning without any chemical treatment without any of these so-called highly qualified conservationists and all that they just need some tender loving care by this priest and uh, they have survived uh, we were in the uh, national museum today and these bronzes uh, are better off sitting with in the temple rather than being inside the showcases because they were living gods now they are reduced even now museum to being showcases so i think one thing you have to realize that these have been made by artisans who breathe lived art for god so they created these images putting generations of experience into it so that they could outlast your view my view and our entire generation's and generations. view and to even understand that a work of art can stand its beauty and grace like a smile and the downward glance for a thousand years is not a simple act when today we can't even build a bridge that stands till it's open so i think we have to give credit to the artist who realized that they did it they did a good job they did the job for the artifact which we today call an artifact to be inside the temple which is there about so you don't go into a home and see something and say don't worry i will take good care of you so i have two questions at this point the first one would be that when these objects are leaving uh, you know uh, you know in insurance uh, are these provenance being produced at that point and if they are are we technically you know sound enough to figure out at that point that these are fake well obviously nobody is going to declare that i'm sending out antique items okay so they are going out as garden furniture as brass uh, decorative items okay or they go out as smuggled along with uh, coconut husk containers okay or as uh, used stationary items plus some of them are couriered out so they are freighted out and they go through multiple points which hide the provenance like hong kong thailand switzerland london so it's it's not too difficult if you have the will to do it unfortunately the current working system doesn't incentivize law enforcement to actively pursue theft and culture property so bring coming to the second question which would be why would what would be the incentive or why why should you know as an indian citizen i be worried about it i mean if it's leaving it's gone Right. somebody pickpockets you you just say it's gone and keep quiet or you chase him on the street and beat him up but you know i want to know for our viewers why is it important for us to conserve our heritage first of all it is not your heritage it is a shared wealth of india Absolutely. and as a citizen of india it is your sacred duty to protect it as a custodian and pass it on to the next generation so not only are you not taking care of it now you're allowing it to be robbed and what will you tell your sons to say that there was a beautiful statue here when i was young now it's not there you want to see it go to denmark go to los angeles then you will see and you know this is related to because they are living gods to us they are living deities who who who, who uh, you know like you were saying who are 
uh, sung to morning, evening, and, and prayed to. What happens to the temples have been sort of living, have been pivots around which communities have thrived in India. What happens to the impact of such theft on, on village communities? See, there was once uh, we met with a priest who had lost his main deity. And he was agreed on two points. One, he, he was didn't know that, the, that no, no, the, it was he, stolen. No, he knew it was stolen. And he was agreed in two points because one, he felt it was a great loss because for generations together, their family had been taking care of the Lord. The second part was there was a ink of suspicion of his health. On himself. So he wanted to clear the air. And what he was saying basically, roughly translated, would be that maybe all the misfortunes that are happening today to our village, the rains of not coming on time. So you, you could say it's gullible, a poor, uneducated person talking. But you should understand the power of faith. The power of faith is you have a problem. You don't jump into a well or river and die. You go and put it in front of the rod and then pray. And then you go back with peace of mind. And this guy was basically saying, my village is having this problem. I prostrate to all foreign governments. Because some people are saying my Nataraja is in America. Some are saying it is in Australia. Somebody please find it and turn it back to me so that I will take better care of it henceforth. And that to me ends the argument. He is the custodian and he says, please return it back. And he says, I will prostrate to you. And if future generations will keep prostrating to you, please return this object back to us. Because it is God for me. For you, we can make another one. Absolutely. But do, do structures break down uh, because of because of temples dying like this? Because these are living temples. You know, one visits temples all over the place. For example, I've been to Khajurao three times myself. There is only one Shiva temple which is live. All the other temples are not um, actively worshipped in. So I assume that if a living deity is stolen out, then those temples eventually are not, you know, places of worship anymore. And or, or what our community, you know, temples were. See, the legal stand, if you ask me, Hindu temple continues for perpetuity. Mm -hmm. Meaning it continues to exist. Like for the London Nataraja case, they bought the Nataraja back, they instituted in the temple. Oh, they instituted it. With, with, with the ruling that the temple is continuously existing. And that is one aspect. So I think we have to understand that taking away the main deity is an act of sacrilege, but doesn't mean that it undervalues the temple in any way. But having said that, a poor replica or a fake, acknowledging the fact that I have lost the original and I don't even file an FIR and to see my cards being openly auctioned when people are bidding openly to an object is something that we cannot accept. And once an object is properly documented, there is no reason why it has to go in a safe security locker or a put on. You can very much go back to the temple, like the case of once the thief knew that it has been documented, the art market realized that they can't buy it or sell it. Documented in public spaces, like on the internet. As much. You just have to say there is a photograph, that's it. They don't want to touch it because if they know they, they touch it, they want to get it back. Yeah. As for the event convention, I just need a dated photograph. And so it's 
and there is no national archive, no initiative um, to actually make an archive. And that's the pathetic or you know the apathy in the government with even national manuscripts um, I hear and with even the medicinal plants database. It's, it's all over the place. Don't actually. even get me started on manuscripts because there are paintings. And today paintings and numismatics is a larger hole than culture because it's easier to take them out. You just roll a painting and take it out and these paintings are being sold in these international markets for half a million dollars, three hundred thousand dollars. So the idea that and today if you don't have a document documenting a sculpture or a painting, a sculpture is very difficult to create a replica. A painting you just say Radha Krishna. Your catalogue may entry says Radha Krishna. So what stops you from having an amateur paint Radha Krishna and put it in the arcade, nobody checks, no audits are done. End of the day, you just need a roll of paper which says this is Radha Krishna. Done. So I think that has to be first of all a realization that a large amount of Indian art is currently moving out of the country. Not just uh, sculptures, but tangible cultural property openly traded. And with technology that is coming in, the earlier days when there are photographs which were sent out and all, now it's all in e-groups, whatsapps. And these, these are blasting the rubber photos out to world over and within hours, bits are happening. So we have to be able to combat this crime at a much larger base to, to stop these objects being vandalized. So I think it requires a larger effort and other countries have taken a lead role in this, which I would expect and they are willing to share. Like Italy, uh, the culinary art force, conducts regular courses free of charge where they discuss their models apparently how they track auction houses and how they use technology to monitor the sale of Italian antiquities in the global art market. And if you see, every month they are stopping and seizing art all over the world. And India doesn't have a force like that. It's not even made an effort to start a force. And, and there are a few small entities in regional context where it's more like a punishment post. So you're doing what the government should be doing essentially? Trying to do at least in that I am. The more we do it, uh, there is a lot of rallying call. But the problem is, uh, we are all doing it our day jobs. Yeah. So we are doing it in our spare time, and there's a limited amount of time that we can spare for this activity. But we are very happy that even though we, we might not have demonstrated successes during the previous regime, in the current regime, we have had clear successes, meaning end to end, we have proved where it was stolen and the objects have been returned back. And in fact, they have been gone back to the temple sites. And to put a number, we are talking about seven to nine that have already come back. And it's not like, my effort. Like? Um, it's, it's a team's effort. So there have been sure. three that have come back uh, from the US. There have been two that's come back from Australia. Mm -hmm. One from Singapore, one from Germany. So there's a lot of such traction that is happening. And a large number of volume items have been taken off display and have been seized, mm -hmm. which are Technically, the property of India. Sure. And how has this current regime, you, you mentioned that things have changed. So how is that supporting you? And my question, if, if you are okay being politically incorrect, how, how was it not supporting the, how was the last regime? I'll give you an example. We've had cases in Switzerland and in uh, Brussels where we approached a dealer who had Sulunat and he wanted to return it back to the Indian embassies there. And they were not asked or told anything. 
and they just did not return because they were not accepted. And to date, till date, these objects are not being returned. Number one, and we have cases where when we wrote to a U.S. museum, and the museum obviously wrote to the Indian ambassador, and for three months they did not get a reply. They wrote to the Indian consulate, and six months they did not get a reply. And then basically they said, we will give it to the U.S. Customs. At least these guys are off my back. This was the case in the previous regime. At least the current regime, when our prime minister goes or comes, he's accepting these so-called gifts, which I strongly object to. These are not gifts. These premiers are not technically owners of this property, stolen property of India. It belongs to India. And Australia, for example, was technically these objects were already forfeit to India because they did not have any reply to India's uh, letter derogatory for 30 days. So they were technically property of India. So Abbott may, maybe uh, saved us the shipping costs by bringing it in. But the larger issue is there's a lot more the government did. And that's where we really see uh, we could actually be doing ideology, one ideal per state, two ideals per state, and we can do about one for every state sure. every six months. What what needs to be done? What needs to change? In the present, the what first, could the present Modi government do? The first realization that we need to look at is our system has got basic flaws. A, a confessed smuggler like India has been let off by a lower court after having confessed to selling 10,000 pieces of Indian art via Sotheby's. No action was taken against the international players. And even the main accused has been acquitted, saying that not even a single object has come back. Imagine somebody has stolen and confessed 10,000 pieces. And the Rajasthan police had all the database, had all the basic investigation work done. The ASI submitted his expert report. And then we are not even appealing the case for two years. So it sends all the wrong signals to the world market to say that yeah, India Absolutely. is back to its base. Number two, you take the case of Subhash Kapoor. Now, we have had cases where we have identified objects that have been stolen from ASI site museums in Madhya Pradesh, in Gujarat, in Rajasthan. And, for example, the 15 million Barut Stupa, which is stolen from a private worship site, which was a registered antiquity in 1978. It was stolen as an FAR that was stolen in 2004. It's been seized in the US in 2012. So it's been four years since an object which is valued, which when it is returned will be the most expensive restituted place in the world. It's been sitting with US customs for four years, with no action taken from India's side. And the sad part, the sadder part is, somebody has raided and seized 2,600 objects, valued at $108 billion. And Subhash Kapoor has been charged with two cases for a total of 14 objects. And charged in the US or in the US? He's already been charged for the US, but in Tamil Nadu, ah. he's been charged with just 14 okay. objects, two cases. Why? Because they want to avoid the paperwork, I presume. Because we have had cases. And it's, uh, it's considered to be a state subject. So all these, so everybody thinks in the national media that Subhash Kapoor was somebody who was taken, robbed two temples in Tamil Nadu, which is not the case. Kapoor's loot and arms reached all over India. In fact, if you analyze the seized objects list, bulk of it is from Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Uttar Pradesh, from Odisha, from Chandragetoga, from, uh, we've had cases of Nizam's alum stolen from Hyderabad, from Bangalore, from Karnataka, so it was a pan-country loop and this case ideally should be moved to the national capital 
wherein all the state governments should be whipped into action to find out which object is mine from where it's looted. Instead, it's, it's been put to the sideline and basically they just want to close the case. Two pieces have come back. This guy is already served, he's been, he was arrested in 2011. He's already been under trial for five years, maybe he'll get one more year and he'll be out. Which is something that we should pose at all sides because like Mahan Gia, the message it sends out to the international community and especially our dealers and curators is very wrong. Yeah. Basically, you can get away with all this. So stealing heritage in gold isn't really considered a crime. Yeah, that's what it is. We're not bothered. It's well, I think it's it's more an understanding of the legal aspects and I think uh, it, it is high time that the Indian government takes help because there are international experts, there are international conventions that happen like what yeah. discussed, for which India is not participating and these experts, scholars are willing to offer their expertise, whether it be redrafting, if they are going to redraft the activity law and to put in place an active idle squad at the central level, there are governments, the government entities, law enforcement who are willing to work with India. Unfortunately, they don't even have a platform to engage themselves and they are just going around the place and they have been put to the Ministry of External Affairs, to the Ministry of Culture, to CBI, to the State Police and you can imagine the frustration. He's not doing his job. Yeah. He's actually doing your job. You should be pushing them to do your work. So I think the larger issue, as I told you, is that first of all, you have to make aware that the scale of this route is pan country. And there are multiple dealer networks involved, which are not going to stop by just a few token returns. So unless we take a concrete action to dismantle these smuggling networks, go after the banks that are getting their inward remittances, go after the forwarders who are shipping their goods, go after the custom brokers who are filing their documents, go after the restorers who are basically sticking back their hands and legs. Go after the expert scholars who are writing their catalogs, including a few Padmas, Padmashris who are writing their catalogs. So that's also there. The Padmashris are also involved. Not involved, they are writing their catalogs. So it gains more weightage when the Padmashri says this is a good piece. So I think at some point of time we have to realize that we need a more active engagement by the government with expert scholars, A, B, in leadership in terms of actual being aware of what is happening in the art market, tech savvy personnel who can tell them what's happening, how these information is being spread and generally build capacity within the various be it customs, be it the DRI, be it the enforcement directorate because this is not just object moving out illicitly, money is being transferred and today there are three ports that, are, that can just hold these pieces for you so a million dollars can just move over a wire transfer and the object can move from one ownership to another ownership. So unless you realize all these, these money is there, these guys are not going to get this a million dollars and work, give it for charity or, or a local school. These guys are going to use it for obviously bad deals and that's going to hurt India more. So it's not just a few pieces which are being dropped. This is a larger network which has to be dismantled. Dismant. So, you know, yes, government See, if they're not acting, so you're acting uh, and your team, what can an average person like me or you share, what, what can we do? What, what can we do? Say, building the national uh, database. The See, the first thing is to be aware of what is around you. Yeah. Sadly, people don't even visit yeah. the, the few heritage sites that are around. 
and the idea is if you go there you take a photograph you take one photograph with you as a selfie and take one without you and just keep it one without you probably if you have a date stamp it's better so that at least there is some because because half the problems we have in indian antiquities restitution is we can't find the source page and similarly build appetite within the government by tweeting and being active on social media about this problem if at all you come across any theft reports make sure because right now there is a general apathy towards this cause because people don't realize that there are in, in a country this size you cannot have heritage thefts happening almost on a weekly basis but no record of it if you want somebody ask you how many temples have been robbed so you have to come up with a guesstimate which another question that i had especially for our viewers is that uh, you know in their locales you know they figure out that something has been stolen how do they how do they go about it see the first thing that we need to be clear about this we are only assisting law enforcement the first thing you need to do is report the theft okay and to report the theft you need to have a photograph and the main problem that we have is most sites they don't have a photograph and temples in a active worship most likely they discourage photography okay and even if they have photography they have all the ornaments and the clothes and all that so my first request is for the temple authorities and the site guardians to at least take a photograph and keep it with them and if possible make a copy and give it to the local police station sure if at all there is a theft at least you have the photograph number one and if these so called custodians fail to do this as local citizens if you have a theft report go and try to lodge an fir okay and if they don't do that go to the media and once you have this fir and a photograph you could probably get in touch with us on our twitter handle or if there is a media report where there is no fir filed you could probably tweet us with the media link to the media report then we would follow up on that okay. the idea is to first of all report that such as a theft has happened because in the past we have seen that it's been dismissed our claims that there are so many stuff that's been looted uh, there is not even a theft report and it's very easy for people to say that there is no fir there is no theft report so everything is hunky dory so the idea is for volunteers uh, who are looking at this to know that this is your project mm. it is your village as well Absolutely. and if something that is stolen we can help in the phase 2 so we don't replace the current setup we will only assist and you can rest assured that if it is escalated to us we are the watchdog and we will ensure that at least that piece is not openly traded that's number 1 Number two is basic awareness. Uh, to quote you a, a thing in why photography and archive is important. Currently, they are searching a hill in Madurai. Okay. An entire hill has been quarried, and that hill unfortunately had a third-century BC inscription. So that's how lax our awareness is, and we had to wait for the entire hill to be quarried. And today, the government is doing an inquiry and searching for a photograph of the hill that is not there. So the idea is a we shouldn't have allowed querying in such a site. B we should have at least photographed the destruction had as it was happening so that we could have stopped it. At least now book the criminals who have done it and we failed basically in all these three conditions. So the idea is uh, and a larger effort which I want to talk about is one of my friends in uh, Madurai again and they are doing this project which is called a green walk where they encourage people who have gotten tired of visiting malls and shopping complexes. basically you take time off on a sunday morning where people would probably come on their own vehicles and they locate a site and they just get there and probably have a small meal together get an expert scholar who are 
today looking for such activities to to do short talks and get them to talk about the object bring your family along bring your kids along so that you go down there at least you are passing the responsibility to the next generation at least there is a record that you are there and you have been to those places a little bit of tourism happens you would at least have a chai pani nearby that side so the villager at least knows that he has got something of value in this place so i think that kind of citizen initiative can easily be replicated and in fact these guys have done their 60th uh, trip which means for 60 months they have religiously done this and there is so much to do and the last time i was there we had 330 people climb up for two and a half hour trek to see this third century bc inscription which basically talks nothing much but that a sugar merchant and a salt merchant got together to create a jain bed for a jain monk but it is 2300 year old and it talks a tongue that i can read so that's something that i have a lot of identity with and today that lack of identity is what affects us very deeply because if there is something untoward that happens on the road today you just walk away yeah. you have broad light daylight murders that are happening and people just walk away harassment that happens people just walk away because you don't feel that it's a problem because we are raping a culture which which is not even 400 years old wherein you were basically creating monuments that are standing to this day when these guys were basically relieving themselves in the open and using grass as toilet paper our guys were already building tall temple towers so our culture is much more deeper than that and that's where i feel that the, the sense of indianness will come when you realize what a great culture and tradition that you come from and the valuation and, and go to an example which is not from india i was in mizoram uh, in central vietnam and central vietnam is a place which is very difficult to access even now and in the 4th century a local king converted to hinduism and he built a temple for shiva and he called himself badravarman and he created a temple for shiva and installed a shivalinga in his name as badreshwara in the 4th century in central vietnam and he inscribed there saying to my future generations this is my endowment to you it is your sacred duty to ensure that you take care of this endowment in the case you don't take care all my sins will add to you and if you take care your good deeds are with you i think we should replicate that model here to say that a this is your ancestral treasure it's your duty to safeguard it and to feel proud that you belong to a nation that has has a written probably history going back millennia a oral tradition that goes back even older and that's the kind of pride that will come back to each and one of these villages where we restore these treasures that come back to india and that to me is the largest goal is to make sure that people feel proud that somebody stole my object I didn't let it go lying down. I fought. I got it back, and I have restored it back, my temple back to its former glory. Now, Vijay, when you say that you know we've talked at tens and tens of thousands of you know, artifacts going missing, we definitely need you know in the meanwhile that you know, there are no processes in place, we definitely need more volunteers. What does it mean to be a volunteer, Brian? Well, you have to feel strongly for your culture. you have to have a sense of belonging to india belonging to india doesn't mean that you just share a few facebook posts absolutely retweet a few stuff and think that you contributed to the cause though it does add to the cause and that's thanks to it that 
bring on a worldly spreading. But the awareness building has to reach the right ears. So we would like, first of all, for you to understand what the project is about. So read about it. There have been countless media reports where our work has been covered. There are actual restitutions that have happened. And several museums have taken their items on display. Plus, we are also working on reporting thefts and all that. And how reporting thefts have solved crimes. The next step basically is to ensure that we form a volunteer database where people sign up with their skill sets. So maybe you are good at photography, you would be good at documenting sites, writing about them. Because there is such a wealth of information that is available dispersed all over the land. So we need everyone to take ownership of their own sites and then come up with some sort of basic documentation which involves today with, with, with the modern phones you have a GPS linked uh, photograph so you, that takes care of half the problems. So all you need to do is have a site to upload it and today we are talking to a few IT majors to come up with, with this bare platform. Sadly again uh, the commercial interests are the priority and so this becomes part of CSR which usually takes a back burner. But that's huge CSR for them so is it still I mean 2% of profits of some large IT major would run into several hundred crores. I hope but with, with I is hope it happening? With, are you close to? I'm optimistic. Okay but am, this, these conversations am. have been going on for how long? About a year and a half. Oh but that's a lot right and yeah. no decision sort of no, the prototype is, is, is still work in progress, but I think today's technology, I would say that the technological advancements are keeping pace of our work. So half the activity of visual matching is all done with set technology now, which, which takes the hard job of curating an archive, which is the hardest job. We are assembling together 100 people to take 1000 photos is no big deal. But to be able to catalog it and have it in an archive is the larger problem. And I think today we have to leverage technology and that's why we need techies like you and Srijan to maybe take on an active role in advising us what is the best way to go ahead. But I think A, it is the government's role. Whatever we do as a citizens initiative, end of the day we need to have the blessing. And with Digital India, I think it is high time that this is taken as a priority project. And the universities have to support it. Today, colleges... Uh, basically have very slack focus on cultural heritage and what stops them from giving a few accreditation points for a week of a documentation efforts done by a team of volunteers I think this is something. Number two short courses. Uh, one of my colleagues in, in this business uh, Dr. Tony Yates came up with a online free course on future learning on antiquities trafficking and 11,000 people signed up all over the world. It was a two week course. We learnt a lot. and. Cause you not, next to nothing to put up such an activity for India, and I'm, I'm sure once we do that, people will get interested and know just more. I think universities today are sitting on a, 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 a pool of people who, who have a lot of free time, and if we can aggressively get them involved into such projects, I think a lot of the bad things that are happening, the university guys will not be focusing and get uh, diverted to the other. Unworthy causes. What what kind of? Yeah. <laughs> well, you that know. was a nice slam yeah. comment. On the, okay, so what kind of colleges are you talking about? I mean, are these art colleges or are there, are there actually colleges in India which deal with? I have no formal qualification in art, mm -hmm. nor history. 
and to me an art object appeals to me because these are these objects were fashioned by craftsmen yeah to appeal to everybody sure. so if you tell me that a person can see a chola bronze or a kajraho piece and be happy just just what it is supposed to be he is as much a candidate as a phd scholar sure. so to me i think any college or any school for mm-hmm. that matter should encourage visits to these sites use it as a curriculum magazines or media should promote context instead of just going modern art they should have art heritage themed art contests painting competitions elocution competitions on that which will force the first step see the problem is people are not aware because i'm sure if somebody takes them there and shows them that they will get interested that's what is lacking today in the sense that we are not aware of the beauty inherent latent beauty and the depth of our civilization so people hardly ever visit an ajanta or an elora so and people rush to bangkok yeah and so sorry just staying on the point about creating this national archives database uh, is it is it only a database of uh, heritage sites temple sites and the uh, and the sculptures in them within them or is it actually connected to you know like you're saying uh, Uh, documenting ajanta elora as a tourist destination and then uh, allowing documentation around that i mean are you seeing a commonality between the two or see, is it are they two see, separate i have this problem in quoting ajanta elora because i think there are enough books on ajanta yeah, elora exactly, yeah. or the tanjore big temple or the taj mahal for that matter i am focusing on the fringe sites yeah, sure. where there is more beauty in these isolated sites and wherein the asi or the government or the local bodies are not putting resources to save that all the time when you go there there is no custody there is no keys we have to jump over the fence or you probably go down the, the, the farm hand will have the keys the idea is why because nobody visits them so in fact when we go to some of these sites we have to take a bucket of panda uh, a broom to sweep the bad droppings so that's how bad uh, these sites are for our keep because nobody visits them for months together the idea is uh, like the green walk initiative we talked about first of all you have to popularize these things and make it a viable alternative rather than hanging out in shopping malls or cinema hubs so the next step that we need to look at is building a cultural map and a cultural atlas a cultural atlas which is gps tag because you are going around near a place and if if your gps says as a heritage site which is like 3 kilometers away and you have an hour you probably go there yeah rather than you don't have anything so that is the kind of initiative that can easily be run in today's technology it takes uh, in fact i have a couple of friends uh, from switzerland or america who have probably visited more heritage sites than um, most scholars in india and they've already got these gps tags in so the idea is to see if we can leverage this to encourage people to visit these sites I think that is step number two. Three is once we develop this archive, uh, even as a citizens' initiative, it can be handed over uh, to whoever is interested. Maybe if not the Indian government, which I still am optimistic about, to an university, okay. favorably in India or abroad, who would want to give it the sanctity? Because if I have an archive, it is not going to get the legal sanction. So we need to house it in a place which is. reputed enough yeah which is the the larger problem and 
how we utilize this is something that can be discussed with technology because today there are a lot of scholars who are coming to India to study and they don't have access to these sites and today with the high resolution photograph we don't have to actually be on the site to study these so we can easily create these once we have this database up and running it's very easy to create these objects as another question that I was, you know, I've been thinking about, which is, you know, we talked about how Australia has done something to, you know, see their due diligence part, you know, to see if this is, you know, artwork that was stolen or there was uh, something that was stolen. It's it's not just due diligence; they've done a comprehensive review of their acquisition policy. Okay. How many other countries, say, per say, US, has has US done anything about it? Something in the Europe that's that's been done about it. Europe is a black hole. Just to add to that, which means that, I mean, to your question, that Australia is actually putting fences around um, any stolen artworks coming into their archives. Is that what, what you're saying? So They're reviewing their policy, the Australian art Earlier, to quote it again, it was optical due diligence, meaning you need three papers. As long as those three papers are there, you can buy it. And you can buy it for millions of dollars. Now they are coming up with the most stringent way where they will pre-wet these pieces before passing through. And I think there is nobody who is going to buy an Indian art piece in Australia for at least the next generation. So, so I think they have lost enough money close to 40 crores so far and another 35 to 40 crores in the pipeline. So you are talking about a million dollars, uh, sorry about 100 crores from Australia that will come back to India about shortly. 10, 15, 15 or million dollars. So the next step unfortunately has not happened. And we have not been able to replicate the same amount of success in Europe because Europe is a black hole. Okay. And we've had cases where in Brussels, Switzerland, in London, where still we have not been able to influence public policy because the law enforcement and the media have not been as supportive as has been the media in Australia. So, Vijay, what about the US? See, when Kapoor was uh, arrested by Interpol notice in 2011, a general directive was sent out to all museums and collectors saying review your purchases and have said that he was in business for 35 years in Manhattan and I'm sure a lot of museums had this. Unfortunately, most of the museums, in fact, no museum came up on its own to declare its stuff even in the US, which is quite surprising because given the, the general opinion about USA, we expected many museums to come up because we already had the background data of museums that had Kapoor stuff both as purchases and as gifts. So we had, we went and dug deeper to find that Kapoor had actually donated millions of dollars to museums which makes no sense to me when when a dealer is selling a piece for $700,000 the same year he is giving a gift for a million dollars along with that he gives 200 objects of terracotta from Chandra Ketuga. So these are things that are still need, we need to understand the complexities more because there are tax angles where uh, there are tax breaks uh, that people get if they give an object. But if you ask me point blank, nothing has happened in the US voluntarily, which okay. is quite surprising. Unlike from our side, we have been pushing and we have been successful in, for example, the Arlington Murthy returned by the Wall Street Museum, the Tolder Museum returning to the nation and the gifts back, but not back to India. They have given it thanks to inaction from the embassy side, they have given it to the US customs. The Honolulu Museum of Art has returned objects. So these are all objects that have been given in lieu of India to the US customs, which will hopefully come back. There have also been one instance of a good uh, sign 
where a private dealer voluntarily gave up one of the branches belonging to Tamil Nadu, which is, I think, the first time where a dealer on its own has come up and given something. And it's going to happen more because people know that we have access to data and the best they can do is probably have it in their bedrooms and not go and show this anywhere. So this is going to be, but we don't want to restrict it just to the Kapoor items. I think the US, especially the US and Europe has to do a comprehensive review of its admission systems and be open about the provenance because right now no museum is open about the provenance. So be it in Southeast so Asia. Like publish the provenance actually. What is so where did you get this? Absolutely. Yeah. Put up the document. You have nothing to hide. Why hide? Yeah, and you are, most of these museums are government funded museums. So you are ta using yeah, taxpayer yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. So it is your moral obligation to put up this data. So, so is there any UN provision or is the UN working so on some lawmaking for doing this? See, the thing is, there is a big lobby. So you have this collecting lobby and you have these encyclopedic mediums, museums which still think about Parthage. Uh, which which instantly means that you help in excavation, you get to share a piece of. So these are the colonial mindset, saying that they are the world repository and they need to have it there. So it is a very difficult cartel to break because these museums technically have million dollar budgets, and people sadly don't realize the the cultural impact and the spiritual impact of these objects because as late as last week, people didn't realize that these were objects of worship. So the idea is people think that it is fair game. It's an object of uh, like a curio, they buy it and they trade it. So I think uh, there is larger realization. A, one is a stick and the carrot. The stick is basically saying that somebody is finally looking out for Indian art. And the carrot is, if you give it back voluntarily, at least you have your reputation intact. How many museums are there around the world? Just a thought. What, what, what would it take to write to all of them that Indian art is not uh, like art forms. It's, it's, it's forms of worship which are reaching you. See, I mean, does it have a different? I, have I wouldn't want to brand all museums as that because there have been few museums and creators who do support our effort, and there are some museums who have been genuinely cautious in uh, dealing with these leaders. But the second point is museums buy a lot of stuff and they accept a lot of gifts, and these gifts and objects are in storage, including museums in India. So, one way of curbing this theft is to come up with a very very robust scheme of long-term loans. So why would somebody want to buy a Nataraja with a dubious provenance with an option clause to say that if anything happens I want to lose this 5 million. If the Indian government were to give like the major museums you have this Nataraja with you. Keep it for 10 years. Pay me a token sum or not, not a dollar sum and use that to conserve heritage because otherwise it's lying in our buttons. So give an object, which one do you want? Give one per state or even whatever we are seizing, they can rotate it. So these 3000 objects that have been seized from Kapoor, they can be rotated around the world so that that is become property of India and is distributed among because these are objects that have been sold and bought. So museums want to exhibit it. So instead of bringing it back to India, if they are not objects of worship, like architectural fragments, which we don't know where they are stolen from and the objects that are currently in ASA, Stockholm and warehouses. They can be given as active long-term loans, loans, or permanent loans or permanent gifts. I think that is a viable option to cut demand for Indian art. So, if there is a long-term program and tools, which is currently happening among other, like Italy is coming up with this good option where uh, they are loaning their objects back to the U.S. so that people get to see what a sample, which is what this encyclopedia museum 
tend to put up as arguments from their side. So instead, we will give you a long-term loan. The second thing that we need to do is there is an MOU that needs to be signed by the Indian government with the US authority which enables the US government to share active information on these seizures and thefts and investigations which other countries including Cambodia, Greece, Egypt and all have signed Oh already and we are still lagging We are still lagging and uh, it's been on the agenda for a long time and it's something that the US wants to in fact we can even go to another extent to stop the import of Indian antiquities ban the import of Indian antiquities into the US at the next step maybe Wonderful. We're unfortunately running out of time a little bit. So, just to summarize all of this, what few things, you know, uh, people who will be watching this video later, what can they do? I know you've talked about some of it already, but if you could summarize a few action points that everybody can take away. The least you could do is help friend bring our gods home on Twitter. Uh, share with your friends. If you feel passionately about our cause, and if you think it really adds value to Indianness in you, make our voices heard, make your voices heard among the PMO, reach out to the PMO, monkey bar. Let this be a subject that is discussed. And from our side, we promise you that you will have many more success stories and idle prophecies in this year and next year as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations and all the best for. Uh, you know, more idle boxes and all.